This morning, I think the best way for us to get going is just to start by reading the passage. And so here we are in the Gospel of John, and we've gotten to verse 6, and we'll begin reading there in verses 6 through 9. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man, which comes, or every man coming into the world. The passage that we're looking at this morning starts with the simple words, there was a man. There was a man. As we get started, it's important for us to see the contrast that the author here is putting right at the very beginning of his book. When John starts the gospel of John, he doesn't start by introducing himself. He doesn't say, hi, I'm John. He doesn't even mention his name. In fact, throughout the book, he even talks about himself without mentioning himself. He doesn't try to convince us that he's trustworthy or that he has the authority to carry a message like this, to write something like this down. He doesn't boast in his achievements like, hey guys, I was one of the 12. He doesn't say, guys, I was more than the 12. I was one of the three that got to go with Jesus on the special occasions, like the Mount of Transfiguration or there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He doesn't boast on that. He doesn't even say, I was beyond all of them. I was the one who was leaning his head on the very bosom of Christ at the Last Supper. He doesn't even say, I'm the one that Jesus trusted with the care of his mother Mary after he was crucified. He doesn't boast in any of his achievements. He just crashes right in. Introducing us to the true focus of the gospel. Again, he doesn't focus on the wrongs of his time. He doesn't paint some bleak picture of like what it was like politically, uh, what the Israelites were facing, and then bring in the light. Remember, he just lets the light shine full force. John starts his gospel with there in John 1, verse 1 and 2, in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And as we talked about two weeks ago, the beginning of the gospel is God. And from that glorious introduction of God, our Savior, John tells us that in him was life. And that life is the light of men and how that light is just shining into the darkness. And then he introduces us. Okay, you're going to mention yourself now? You're going to talk about you now, John? Okay, the gospel, it's the Lord. And then now let me let you know me. No, he introduces us to a John, but not him, John, another John. John the forerunner. The contrast, though, is this. He starts out with Christ, the eternal God. 
the creator of all things, the source of life and light. The eternal God, Jesus. And then from that, there was a man, John. Jesus is God. John was a man. It's been said that like the purest expression of worship in every aspect of your life is coming well to terms with the fact that he is God and you are not. At best, you are a man. And as a man, you have come forth from your creator. You need him. You are nothing without him. He is God. You are not. He is the center of all things. You are not. And we are, our lives are in line when we have come to grips with the reality of our condition and how desperately we need him. It is he who made us, not we ourselves. John was a man. Now here in the New King James Version, it says, there was a man. But the way that it's worded in the Greek is, there came into being a human being. And I like that. There came into being a human being. Those same words were found already in verse 3. And it says there, all things were made. It's the same word, came into being. Here in verse 6, it just says, and there was. But... It's the same word there. It's came into being. John 1 verse 3. There all things were made or came into being through him. And without him was nothing made that was made or nothing came into being that he didn't bring into being. There came into being from the one by whom all things have come into being. There came into being a human being. That same expression is in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, or human beings. So there came into being, on the one hand, we have the uncreated God by whom all things come into being. On the other hand, we have the one who came into being. On the one hand, we have the one who is the light or the life and light of human beings. On the other hand, we have a human being. But here's the amazing part. It's not just that he brought us into being. Praise God for that. We have existence. To exist is better than to not exist. Existence itself is a good gift from God. He's the one that has given you that. So he's brought us into being. Not just that, though. Not just that he created us. Not just that in him was life, and that life is the light of men. Not just that he shines on us so that we can be illuminated. But the fact that he would use us for his glory. Now that is amazing. Like, let me tell you something. God doesn't need you to shine so that he can shine. 
He is perfectly capable of shining on his own. He's been doing that from the dawn of creation. Like, he shines in the darkness. And that's just, like, he doesn't switch on his light. He doesn't create his light. Like, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So he doesn't need you in order to shine. He's perfectly capable of shining. But yet, at the same time, what a blessing that the creator of all things, who is perfectly capable of glorifying himself, it's not that he, like, it, like Paul says in Acts, it's not like he's worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything. Because he gives to all life and breath and all things. Like, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anyone. He is perfectly capable of doing his own thing. But what a blessing. That not only would he bring you into being, but then he would allow his very glory to be reflected in your life. That your life would bring glory to your creator. So what do we see here? We see that there was a man sent from God. God didn't need to send him. God could do his own thing. But what a privilege. What a privilege to think that the creator God, the one who brings you into being, the one who shines his light onto your life, would then from that, Give you a sense of being sent? There was a man. He's just a man. But there's a God who made that man. And a God who sent that man. And the God who made him and sent him is the one that is the emphasis of the gospel. There was a man sent by God, whose name was John. His name is John. His name is John. <laughs> okay. You ever feel like everything is just stacked against you? Like you presently find yourself in an impossible situation? And then there's everyone on the outside and they all tell you like what you're supposed to be, um, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to, you know, see or view your situation. You're in the middle of something absolutely impossible and everybody comes in with all of their advice. They come in with their suggestions. And then when you don't follow their suggestions, you're like, well, fine. The reason that you're stuck in this is because you don't follow my suggestions. You know, like when people are sick, people will come to you with the weirdest suggestions. Oh, you're having that? You know what you should do is rub celery behind your ear. What? What kind of witchcraft are you promoting, right? Like, they, or they come at you like, you know, you have problems, but essential oils are the answer to all things. Now, I like essential oils, so I'm not totally knocking that. But at the same time, it's like there are people that think that the answer to every crisis in life is found in Young Living. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they, they, they have their, whoa, what a strong confidence you have. And they come at you like, oh, you're still sick? It's because you never tried the thing that I, they, they, they give you these suggestions. And they mean, well, it's not like, you know, wish these guys would stop. They, they're only doing it because they love you. 
But it's amazing how much bad advice and bad counsel that we receive just from people who mean well and are trying to love you, but have put confidence in some things that may have worked for them. Like they want you to be like them and that would be the solution. They think they know what's best for you. But sometimes you find yourself in a place where everything's stacked against you. You're in an impossible situation. Everyone on the outside tells you what you're supposed to be. But you know in your heart that God has a plan. You just don't know what that plan might unfold to be. And the longer the delay you become more and more aware of the fact that you yourself are powerless to change your circumstance. And you go from a place of like having hope to like watching hope die. And there's this level of surrender that I've experienced that like, it's almost like beyond surrender. It's like there's an area of your life that like, you kind of die to. And then in the middle of that death, that God brings resurrection. Before there's resurrection, there always has to be death. Whether that's the seeds that fall into the ground or the grain of wheat, unless it die, it abides alone. But there's things in your life that you're like, why does it have to go so low? But you know in the middle of it all, because you believe in the Lord, you trust in his goodness, you know that God's doing something. And your friends, like I said, they mean well. But there's something that I've I've kind of realized is that broken souls, they're not going to be able to be lectured out of their brokenness. We want to be, like you get frustrated, you're like, let me just lecture you right now. And on my lecture, I'll fix your problem. Lucy's over there saying, amen, dad, you can't lecture me out of my, you know, like, But you feel like sometimes I can, but no. A broken soul doesn't need a lecture. Now here's another one. Sometimes a broken soul, what it doesn't need, a broken soul doesn't need another Bible study. What? Can you say that? Let me tell you this. You know what a broken soul needs? A broken soul needs the Lord. A broken soul needs the Lord. Sometimes when you get to that place where you know that like deliverance isn't in you, you can't fix your circumstance. You just begin to hope in the Lord and you leave it with him. Well, I say all that because go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter one. What we've seen here is that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. His name is John. His name is John. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5 down to verse 7, it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zecharias 
of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, let me stop there and tell you that there are certain circles within Christianity that says, if you walk in the ordinances of God and in all your ways you're found blameless, well, then you're going to have a blessed and prosperous life. You know what you need to do? You need to serve God so that he will give you good stuff. But I'm telling you today that if you're serving God in order to get good stuff, good stuff is your focus and not the Lord. If you're seeking and praying to God in order to have all of your stuff fixed, you're looking at God as a means to an end rather than the end itself. And those that want to tell you that like prosperity is the goal, they have sold you short to things that will corrupt and perish, where moth and rust will destroy and thieves can break in and steal. And the gospel points you to a higher treasure and a greater treasure. These guys sought the Lord. They were blameless, it says. And yet they had sorrow, such deep sorrow. Because verse 7 says, and they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Here's Zecharias. The name Zecharias means Jehovah has remembered. Now, how long do you carry that name with all of your hopes of having a family and not seeing those hopes happen and start to realize, like, am I a total contradiction? Like, my name means Jehovah's remembered, and here I am feeling like the guy that Jehovah forgot. And Elizabeth means God my oath, or God my promise. And yet, feeling like the promises have skipped you by. I think of fruits, right? Like, there's a lot of different fruits out there, so many varieties. Like sometimes you go to the grocery store and they'll have something in you've never even seen before. And you're like, I wonder what this is. You know, like you get those little rambutan and you're like, how do you eat this? Not the, no, the rambutan is the other name for dragon fruit, right? But the, you know, the ones that look like mini dragon fruit, but inside they're just like um, lychee, whatever those ones are. Like, what do you do with this thing? Until you try them and then you're like, oh, cool. There's so many different fruits. But out of all the fruits that are out there, I think there's only one that like will eventually will truly live up to its name. That's the orange. But for most of that thing's existence, it's a contradiction to its name. I'm green. What's your name? Orange. Okay. And then for those that do art, you know, like Hannah has this like color wheel, right? And then there's like, the, the different primary colors and how they intersect. Like, what do you mix with green in order to get orange? You don't, right? Mix anything with green. Like, like what do you, you, you would mix yellow and red to get orange, I think, right? But from green to orange, like, that's a jump that, like, paint mixing doesn't, doesn't really produce. 
but it lives all this time. I'm green, I'm green, I'm green. Now I finally live up to my name. There's like, like grapefruit is a weird one, right? Because yeah, it's a fruit, but it's never a grape. So it's just like this lying thing that hangs on the tree. I'm a grape, (laughs) nothing like a grape. My granny, when she immigrated from Ireland, the first time she ever saw olives was on the boat coming across the Atlantic. And she went down to the, like, the buffet and she thought that they were grapes and she piled up her plate and oh, she was in for a shock. Ooh, grapes. Ah, black olives. <laughs> but here's these guys and they have these names. But as far as what their experience is, totally different. They're a godly couple. They belong to a priestly line. And in spite of all the godlessness around them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they remained faithful. They were obedient to the word. They lived righteous lives, but they had sorrow because as we see in verse seven, they had no child. Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Like how much longing, how much hope. But as the Proverbs say in Proverbs 13, 12, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm sure when they got, when they're like in their betrothal, how many kids do you want? I want 30 kids. Good luck, woman. You know, how many kids do you want? No, they might've talked about it. Like big families in those days were such a blessing because they're like, they, they viewed their children as, you know, an asset. We live in a society now that has trained you and programmed you to think that your children are a liability. But children are a blessing from God. Right? Like, is it tough? Yeah, but every good thing comes because of difficulty. Right? Like, it's not just like, boop, everything's perfect. They'd have these families, and every man hopes to have, like, a little army of helpers. They can go conquer stuff together. I have a friend, he lives in Bozeman, Montana, and, uh, we went to high school together. We used to party together. And he came to the Lord about a year after I did. And uh, he married his high school sweetheart. They came to Jesus. And, and then they had a kid. And then they had another kid. And then they had another kid. Then they moved to Montana. Well, eventually they moved to Montana. I mean, I'm, I'm shortening the story. Now they're still having kids while their kids are having kids. I think they have 12 now. And uh, they live out on a farm. They live on a sod farm. And that's kind of the family business. They grow sod. They harvest the sod. And then all the surrounding areas there in Montana, they hire this family because this family comes out like little house on the prairie and the whole family installs the sod. And everybody loves to watch it happen. Like, look at this family. Look at all the boys and girls. They're out there putting the sod in. And it's just like, there's like this heritage to it. And everybody loves it. And, you know, how do they feed their family? Well, they live out in the middle of nowhere in Bozeman, Montana. So all the family, they all get their, their deer tags and their elk tags. And uh, they just set up, drink their coffee in the morning from their front porch. And they shoot the deer from out in the sod because the, the the deer coming to eat the sod, boom, boom. And they set them up in the, in the garage because it gets below freezing in the winter. And they get them all processed there. And they feed their family right from their front porch. And they're living the dream. Little house on the prairie in our modern day. 
But when you live in a society that's all like that, and here's this family, and they're like, how many kids do you want? Oh, and then they pray, and the first year, they're like, oh, it's okay. It's just a year. Lord's got it. It's in his time. The second year, the Lord's got this. in his time. The third year, it's like, okay, like eventually they're praying, and they're trusting the Lord, and they're praying, and they're trusting the Lord. Year four, year five. At what point do you get to a point where you're like, Lord, when are we ever going to have a family? Is this thing that's been the heart, my heart's desire, is this ever going to happen? And then eventually you get to a point where you're like, maybe I need to pray different prayers. Maybe this thing that I keep praying about, I need to stop praying about and move on to praying about other things. Well, at this point in their life, they've come to the conclusion that Elizabeth, <clears throat> Elizabeth is barren, and now they're well advanced in age. And Zechariah's just doing his job, ministering in the temple. An angel come to him, came to him and spoke to him a promise. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But the rest of that proverb is, but when desire comes, it is a tree of life. And that's what began to happen, seemingly out of nowhere. And we find it there in verse 13 of Luke chapter 1. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. What prayer? By this time, he probably hadn't prayed that in years. Oh, that prayer? Your prayer is heard. For your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. A son? And a name? John? And a calling? Look down in verse 16. In verse 16, he says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So a son with a name and a mission. What was stacked against them? Age. A barren womb. They had everything against them. And yet, Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? As a sign to Zechariah that these things would come to pass, he was made mute. That's not the miracle that you asked for. Lord, give me a miracle. Okay, I'm going to break you. Sometimes the breaking is the miracle. Think of Jacob walking with a limp. That's not the prosperity I was hoping for. You know, <laughs> leaning on his staff, worshiping the Lord. Like, no, you don't think of that. Like, Lord, give me a miracle. Okay, you can't talk no more. But that miracle, that was the miracle that he needed. When he came out not able to speak, everyone understood that he'd seen a vision. And when you get down to Luke 1, verse 57, down to 64. Now, I'm sorry on this. You know, I, had, I was taking the scripture and I put it in and the heading 
of the scripture was in there, and I edited the heading right into the middle of this portion. So there's, there's a part of this slide that's actually not the Bible. But if you read your Bible, it's safe. So never trust the slide, because I can throw something in there. I'm just, I'm warning you. But no. it, is, it says, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zecharias. His mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father. What would his, what would, um, what he would have him called? And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was open. His tongue was loosed and he spoke, praising God. Look, his neighbors, his family, they all had their ideas of what he should be called of what he should be. But God had a name for him, a calling for him, a plan for him. His name is John. Look, he didn't make himself. His name is John. His parents couldn't make him. Like when he was born, he wasn't born of the will of man. If that would have happened, it would have been like, the first year of their marriage. But it got to a point where it's like, the will of man has no say here. This takes a miracle. His parents couldn't do it. But God did it. So when we're reading here in the gospel of John, you can go ahead and turn back to, to John chapter 1. There was a man sent by God whose name was John. What a miracle. What a story, even to get to that point. But let me just bring something that's really important that we are so quick to forget. Just let me bring out a point. John, his calling and his mission, it wasn't to draw attention to himself. It wasn't to tell about when he was born or, you know, how he could have been a priest, but instead he's a prophet. It wasn't to talk about, like, you know, I was born a miracle. It wasn't like, I got a name as a miracle. Oh, I got this ministry as a miracle. Like, yeah, my mom and dad, like, they were part of the priestly line. I probably would have gotten into the family responsibilities, but I got this new thing going for me, and all of that's a miracle because me, 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 and God. He wasn't drawing attention to himself. He wasn't called to do that. That wasn't God's purpose for him. And that's not God's purpose for you. 
Like Paul was like that. He said, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus, the Lord. And ourselves, like if we have to come into it, ourselves, servants for your sake. What was John sent for? Read with me there in verses 7 through 9. He says, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 7 is significant because it says, he came for a witness to be a witness. The word witness is doubled. It's doubled in the Greek. It's not just some weird English translation. It's like, he came as a witness to be a witness. Or to be a witness and bear witness. And the word witness is a big deal through the Gospel of John. Because in the Gospel of John, overall what we find is that it's God who is bearing witness. God is bearing witness to the world. And the first witness in the book of John is how God will use a man who was born from a barren woman. A man who, naturally speaking, shouldn't have been born. A man named John, who, naturally speaking, and if all the neighbors and all of society had their say, we tell you that you're this, he would have been named Zechariah. A man who, naturally speaking, would have followed along with his family's responsibility, and he would have been a priest. A child who naturally wouldn't be born, naturally would have been named Zechariah, naturally would have been a priest, but instead was born, was named John, and was a prophet. And he didn't want to draw attention to himself, but to the true light. Like God changes the story. John's story exists because of God. John the apostle begins his gospel with God because the gospel begins with God. The, the God who changes the story, the God who does what no one expects, the God who rescues, the God who redeems, the God who shines, and he shines even into the darkness. He's not like, oh, that's darkness. I don't shine there. I only shine where I like. He just shines. And when Zechariah was prophesying in regards to the birth of John, um, there at his circumcision in Luke chapter 1, verse 76 through 79, he says this, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge, knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
What a witness. And what is the witness? The witness is this, that the heavenly sunrise, that Jesus Christ himself, that where like Paul talks about it there in Titus, that um, I'm like getting all tied up, but it was the verse uh, that now I'm stuck. It happens. If I can even just get started. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present age, looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That same word, appeared, it's this word like epiphany. It's the word that would describe the the rising of the sun when it just starts cracking through the darkness. What a witness. The witness is what God does. And what does God do? God shines into the darkness. He comes in like the sunrise, shining on all men. And since God shines on all men, what's so beautiful, right? The sunrise, that's a natural phenomenon. We see it in the morning, how the sun, it rises up like a, like a groom from the bride chamber and it runs its course through the heavens. From the, from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, that the name of the Lord is to be praised. We see this. That's a natural phenomenon. And that's the way the Lord in his glory is just shining into all of creation, shining into all the darkness. That's a natural phenomenon. He doesn't come in like a laser light, like, Carrie, shining on Carrie. Terrible for all you guys. He is shining because that's what he does. And that's what he does because that's who he is. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And since God shines on all men, it only makes sense that John wants to be a witness to all men. John the Baptist wanted all men to believe. That's what he says in verse 7. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. John the Baptist wanted all men to believe. I hope you want that too. John the Apostle, who wrote about John the Baptist wanting all men to believe. John the Apostle wanted to be a witness to all men. John 21, verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Here's the guy that's writing the book. And I love the fact that he's not even saying, hey, me, me, I'm the guy that's writing this as a witness. He's saying, no, this is the disciple. He's even talking about himself in third person. Why? Because the story's not about him. He's drawing attention to the Lord. But he wants to be a testimony to all men. He wants to be a witness to all men. Because God is shining upon all men. He wanted all men to believe. 
John 20, verse 30 through 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And that's the key verb of the gospel, by the way. The key word of the gospel is the logos. The gospel begins with God, but the key action of the gospel is belief. All men are invited to believe. All men are to be prayed for. You don't shine your light selectively and pray selectively. Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.1, Therefore I, exert, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. You pray for all men. Why? Well, does God only shine his light on some men? Is God just like shining selectively or is he just shining into the darkness to those that sit in the shadow of death? Why does God shine like the sun on all men rather than as like a laser pointer on some? Why do both Johns, John the Apostle and John the Baptist, want to be a witness to all men? Why do they want all men to believe? Why do we pray for all men? Well, it's good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. It's not a desire that's contrary to his heart. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, at that point, you can go like, well, logically, and like, let me send myself off into eternity. I, I don't get any of that stuff. I just know that like, I should be actively desiring that everyone is saved. And I should be praying that they are. I want to see them come to know the Lord. I shouldn't be saying, Lord, give me discernment to only care about everyone that you care about and help me to see everyone as a villain who you hate. God doesn't create things to hate them. He doesn't create things to break them. He doesn't create things to obliterate them. And he doesn't create an enemy in order to make himself look like a hero. God is good. He is good. And there's divine simplicity. All of his attributes, all at once. They don't switch on and off. It emanates from who he is. How does the mystery work? Wouldn't be a mystery if we knew that, right? So we can rest in the mystery because there's plenty of mystery with the Lord. But verse 8 and 9. He was not that light. But was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Which gives light to every man coming into the world. John wasn't the light, and you're not the light either. John was a light bearer, and that's awesome. John was the light bearer, and this little light, it's not his light. It's not like this little light of mine. It was this little light that's his, this light that belongs to him. 
That's the light that John was going to let shine. There was a man sent by God whose name was John. His name was John. John. His life was a witness to the fact that even today, he wouldn't have existed if it was all left to the will of man. He wouldn't have existed if it was left to the best efforts of his mom and dad. He wouldn't have had the name that he had if it wasn't for the revelation of God. Like, he wouldn't have even, like, none of his story would have happened. And if you feel like today everything's stacked up against you and that you're in the middle of an impossible situation and that everyone on the outside is telling you, like, what you're supposed to be, but you know in your heart that God has a plan, and you come to the realization that you are powerless. It is not in you. Because often we get to a place where we see everything stacked up against us and we're like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more to my story. And then we go, okay, I'm going to write the story then. I can see how this would work good in my story. And so we want some action. So I try to write an action. And then you go back to read it and you're like, that wasn't action. That was drama. How come every time I mean action, it comes out drama? How come every time that I want romance, it comes into like tragedy? How come every time, you know, that I, like, that I want suspense, it comes out like really bad comedy? <laughs> like, stop trying to be the author of it. Stop trying to exist apart from him. The beginning of worship in all things is recognizing the fact that, like, he's God and you're not. John was just a man. And at best, that's all you'll ever be. But God is God. And God's the one that you, you absolutely need. He brought you into being. Then he entered into the very experience of being to not just bring you into well-being but to into eternal well-being with him forever like he entered into creation so that you could forever be in fellowship with your creator there is a man sent by God and his name is John and his life bears witness to the true light God the one who rescues and redeems.